You're listening to the Unheld in News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths. Each week, we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media, and we analyze these events. Just as in Jesus' day, Pharisees still walk the earth. Among them today are the celebrity Christians who support wars in the Middle East to protect Israel. In our Pharisee Watch portion of the program, we feature stories about the unchristlike acts of these modern-day Pharisees. Our programs are led by Charles E. Carlson, the founder of We Hold These Truths, and author and editor of the Pharisee Watch, and unheralded news features on our website, whtt.org. Joining Chuck are four other founders of We Hold These Truths. Travis Steele is the owner of Steele Engineering. Mark Horton is the president of Ultra Clean Corporation. Chuck McCollum is the owner of Oakshade Development. And Tom Compton is a retired sales engineer and your announcer. Our reader is We Hold These Truths faithful volunteer and dramatist Leslie Ford. Welcome to our podcast. In today's podcast for Unheralded News and Pharisee Watch, we've got some very interesting items. Once again, there's no lack of interesting items out there. And, of course, we are around the time that the Palestinians are seeking statehood here. And I think one of the things I want to talk about first is from Haritz. Our good friends at Haritz have got a couple of great articles here. First one's entitled, U.S. Republican Presidential candidate Perry, Rick Perry that is, blasts Obama's Mideast policy. And this was dated the 20th of September. In a speech in New York, Perry pledged strong support for Israel and criticized President Barack Obama for demanding concessions from the Jewish state. In a speech in New York, Perry pledged strong support for Israel and criticized President Barack Obama's demand for concessions from the Jewish state. And the governor says that this emboldened the Palestinians to appeal for U.S. recognition. Perry also criticized Obama's stated goal that any negotiations should be based on the borders Israel had before a 1967 war that expanded the Jewish state. While the 1967 borders have been the basis for diplomatic negotiations, they have never been embraced before by a president. Perry called for that stance, quote, insulting and naive. Well, that's not true because George Bush actually called for almost a very similar thing back in 2004. We covered this some months ago. Same, the same rhetoric. This is about the same time that Obama came out with his rhetoric that the two-state solution, what have you. The article goes on here to say, Perry also expressed support for allowing Jewish settlements to be constructed on the West Bank, a practice Obama has asked the Israeli government to cease, and Perry said that the entire city of Jerusalem should be part of Israel, a move that would make key religious and historical sites part of the Jewish state. Perry even suggested he would move American diplomatic personnel out of Tel Aviv and instead recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Quote, as the President of the United States, if you want to work for the U.S. State Department, you will be working in Jerusalem, unquote, he said. 
goes on here. Both Perry and Romney, the other one of the other top Republican candidates, said the U.S. should reconsider funding for the UN itself if the global body votes to recognize the Palestinian Authority. The Republican presidential hopefuls are intent on standing strongly behind Israel, an effort to appeal to Jewish voters and donors who play a pivotal role in presidential elections. It is also an effort to reach evangelical Christians who play a key role in the Republican primary process and who support Israel for theological reasons. Perry on Tuesday said that his own Christian faith is a part of his support for Israel. Quote, I also, as a Christian, have a clear directive to support Israel. So from my perspective, it's pretty easy, unquote, Perry said when a reporter asked if Perry's faith was driving his views. Quote, both as an American and as a Christian, I'm going to stand with Israel, unquote. Now, a a follow-up story, an additional story here in Haritz is good because, and it's interesting because of the title, and I don't know if you'd actually see this kind of thing in, in our papers here, in some obscure papers maybe, but the article is entitled, Texas Governor Rick Perry, like a Likudnik. Of course, the Likud is the right-wing party headed by Benjamin Netanyahu, and this is by Chemi Shalev. Except for the fact that the proceedings were held in English and Israeli attending Texas Governor Rick Perry's quote-unquote press conference at the W Hotel in Midtown Manhattan Tuesday, morning might be excused for imagining that he was in the middle of a pep rally for one of the Israel's right-wing politicians and a hard-liner at that, flanked by two of the Knesset's most hardcore peace process poo-pooers, the Likud Danny Dannon and Shaz Nizim Zayev, and enthusiastically encouraged by an organized band of Orthodox Jewish cheerleaders, Perry adopted the rhetoric of Israel's radical right, lock, stock, and barrel, repeating the word, quote-unquote, appeasement in all its inflections in order to hammer home a not-too-subtle association between President Obama's Middle East peace policies in 2011 and Neville Chamberlain's Munich capitulations in 1938, and it goes on um, there. But... Uh, at least somebody is, uh, once again, we tip our hats off, is aware of what's going on. And, of course, they do. They understand the religious aspect, this Christian, what we call Christian Zionism, that has this undying support for Israel. I might comment, uh, reading from Heretz, uh, we don't want to give impressions to our readers that they should subscribe to Heretz in order to get the, good, the right news about everything. It's just that... There are sides in Israel too, and uh, there's there is a radical a, a radical wing there that many Israelis consider to be very dangerous. Referring to the Likudniks, it's more than just a member of the Likud party. A Likudnik implies a, a, a sort of a nick. That that's an implication of something extremely violent and radical. And uh, what what you get in Haram, you get a little bit of balanced Israeli news. And what we find is that our politicians are so far to the bizarre, radical side that they even look bizarrely radical to the normal, middle-of-the-road Israelis. 
who make up their <laughs> Labour Party, for instance. So uh, that's why these statements by Haritz uh, seem to be critical of Israel itself, is because these people are so far to the, I don't want to say the right wing, I want to, I want, they're so, so, so radical in their views that even the Israelis, a lot of the Israelis have trouble swallowing it. Of course, it all also represents good news for some of them to know that they have somebody sympathetic running for president. And uh, so we have for a long time recommended people take a look at Haaretz every few days because it does tell us things we don't find in other places. But don't go subscribing to it with your uh, children's college money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can still get get it online free. So, again, it's, free, it's yeah. got opinions, and uh, not to say that we agree with everything they do, but they do give a fresh perspective that a lot of times you don't see here in, in the mainstream media in the United States. So Absolutely. that's why I'm enthusiastic about it, and... They they do express a little realism here. They 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 have a in Haritz has a, a spectrum of beliefs there too, and in a, a, another story that I found kind of interesting. Of course, the Palestine going to the UN for recognition. One of the articles entitled "Palestinians Will Land from UN Dream into Mid East Reality." This is by Akiva Eldar. And he says, when Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas returns from New York with a United Nations decision recognizing a Palestinian state or an observer-slash-non-member nation in his pocket, he will be forced, as always, to land at Jordan's International Airport in Amman and travel from there to the Israeli border station on the Hussein, formerly Allenby, bridge. Israeli police will examine the cars in his entourage, flip through the passports and VIP documents, in quote here, if Israel hasn't canceled them as a part of its punishment process, out of parentheses, and send them on their way until the next Israeli army checkpoint. The Palestinians are aware that one of the first steps they must take in order to for their sovereignty to be worth more than a piece of paper is to establish an international airport. This is kind of a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek article here. Two weeks ago, the high court rejected a petition filed by the head of the Beit Aiska Council and three members of the West Bank Village against the expropriation of their land for the purpose of laying down track for the fast train LOD to LOD to Jerusalem, of which 6.7 kilometers runs through occupied territory. So they continue to expropriate and steal land from the Palestinians. And then, of course, he, he gets a little satirical here and says, why not plan rail lines to Damascus and Baghdad for, quote, when political and security conditions are ripe, question mark, unquote. The annexation practice to Israel of settlements east of its green line has been routine, the, the green line being the 1967 border. Okay, now our uh, our next item, an article published by Chuck Baldwin, who is an evangelical Christian. He's a preacher. He ran on the Constitution Party at, for president in 2008 election, and more of a protest, obviously. I don't know how many votes he got, but 
he wrote a piece here just recently, and Leslie, would you read some highlights from the article? Because it's very telling. What he says is what we've been saying here. At, we hold these truths about Christian Zionists being angry evangelicals, as our new term for them is. And here's uh, an admission from somebody that's been in the inside of evangelical movement for a long time. Chuck Baldwin Live, Fighting for Constitutional Government in America. I've been an evangelical Christian since I was a child. I've been in the gospel ministry all of my adult life. I attended two evangelical Christian colleges, received honorary degrees from two others, and taught and preached in several others. I've attended many of the largest evangelical pastors' gatherings and have been privileged to speak at Christian gatherings, large and small, all over America. I have been part of the inner workings of evangelical ministry for nearly 40 years. I think I learned a thing or two about evangelical fundamentalist Christianity in America. And I'm here to tell you, I don't like what I see happening these days. That said, I do think it is more than fair to say, historically, Christians have always attempted to be and have always publicly taught the importance of being peacemakers. Historically, Christians have preached and tried to practice love and brotherhood. The early church was born in a baptism of love and unity. Oh, sure, there were always individual misunderstandings and differences, but on the whole, the church was a loving, caring, compassionate ecclesia. So what has happened to turn the most peace-loving institution the world has ever known, the New Testament church, into the biggest cheerleaders for war? I'm talking about unprovoked, illegal, unconstitutional, unbiblical, even secret wars of aggression. The biggest cheerleaders for the unprovoked, unconstitutional, preemptive attack and invasion of Iraq were evangelical Christians. Ditto for the war in Afghanistan, the bombing of Libya, the attacks in Yemen, etc. Who is calling for the bombing of Iran? Evangelical Christians. Who cheers for sending more and more troops all over the world to maim and kill more and more people, including innocents? Evangelical Christians. Shoot, pun intended. Most evangelical Christians didn't even bat an eye when the federal government sent military and police personnel to murder American citizens, including old men, women, and children, Christian old men, women, and children, no less, outside Waco, Texas. And where are today's evangelical Christians giving a second thought regarding their fellow Christian brothers and sisters in many of these Middle Eastern countries that are being persecuted, imprisoned, tortured, and killed by the puppet regimes being put in power by the U.S. government at U.S. taxpayer, including Christian taxpayer, expense. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but more Christians have been persecuted under the U.S., imposed regime in Iraq than were ever persecuted when Saddam Hussein was in power. Oh, and don't forget that it was the U.S. government that was responsible for putting Saddam Hussein in power to begin with. 
The U.S. government set up Osama bin Laden, too, but I digress. The disciples of our Lord were called Christians, first by the Gentiles of Antioch, because of the manner in which the disciples reminded them of Christ's nature and teachings. I never thought I would hear myself say what I'm about to say, but the truth is, the term Christian today means anything but Christ-like. To many people today, Christian refers to some warmongering, mean-spirited, throw-anyone-to-the-wolves-who-crosses-them person who then has the audacity to look down their nose in contempt against anyone who disagrees with them for even the smallest reason. And the word church has the stigma of being simply an enclave of warmongers to many people today. And that, my friends, is one reason so many people are so turned off with today's Christianity. And I can't say that I blame them. I'm turned off, too. Am I a pacifist? Absolutely not. Do I believe in an individual, a family, a community, or a nation has the right to protect and defend itself? I absolutely do. And the fellow who breaks into my home or who attacks my loved ones will personally discover I believe that. But this blind support for illegal, immoral, unconstitutional war is anything but Christian. Not only is it turning people against our country among people abroad, it is turning our own countrymen against the Christ we Christians claim to love right here at home. Okay, thank you. That was just a excerpt of this letter, but uh, we got the sense of it and quite quite well done. Chuck, do you want to make any comments? Or Mark well, on the line well, there. It's, it's wonderful, and I think it is a change, something of a change of uh, you know direction. I mean, for for this man, and uh, it's uh, good news to hear this happening. That people who would not have written this letter three or four years ago are are writing it now. Uh, I think that's uh, really uh, really very encouraging. God bless him. I'm, I'm happy to hear him to hear these words. Okay, well that's our report for today.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.